It's life on life's terms. What's up, everybody? Great to be back. I'm Tom Robinson, a grateful recovering addict. And this is the Life on Life's Terms podcast. And uh, we are not affiliated with any 12-step program, although we do endorse them. We do love them. We have benefited from them. Yes, we have. Uh, my name is Chris Mandeville. I, uh, I am a recovered heroin addict. We are here at a New Way Recovery Center in Quincy, Mass. on Quincy Ave. Um, they are very gracious and let us use this facility to provide you with this podcast um sorry it was so loud just and now. it's we uh you can find <laughs> us at lolterms.com um you can like subscribe share from there uh yes, that's please that's our audio podcast um or you could join in this group and um you can watch it from here uh if you go onto the the life on life terms group just click on photos and all of the videos are there that you can watch. Um, so tonight we have a uh, father and son team um, that I met at uh, Social Peer Recovery Center in Situate. Um, and we had Josh on for Recovery Rocks briefly. And, you know, we had been talking about getting them both on um, for a while. Uh, so we are going to have them share their experience with us uh, on how they got where they are today. So take it away. All right. Well, yeah. So uh, have you guys thought about how you're going to do this? Like, uh, are you going to start with the stories, like in a, a background story, and one guy Maybe goes we first, should uh, just give a brief overview. Uh, there you go, yeah. You know, our story kind of intermingles. Uh, first, I'm Ron Orleans, and um, my wife and I actually came into uh, recovery together, uh, different paths, but uh, in somewhat different recoveries, but we're both uh, coming up to almost seven years Nice. Um, and Good stuff. Um, that uh, <clears throat> the fact is, I, I like the kid and say before this, this period of time that I've come up to almost seven years, I had 17 years of sobriety. And that was from the day I was born until I was 17. Right. You made it pretty long then. Right. So if, know, I, if, I got, if I got recovery at 63, I was out and about uh, drugging and drinking for 45 years. Mm. And I did it mostly with my wife. We did it together. And oh, yeah. We established a pattern of life that was a difficult thing to break. And unfortunately, um, the byproduct of that was our children saw us like that. And that had a, yeah. an unfortunate effect, uh, which I think it will. And on the other side of that coin, when we, when we got uh, sober and found recovery and found AA, we were able to, to, to sort of be there for our son and show him, not just tell him what sobriety looked like. And I think that... Right some point had some some significant and, impact and it, on and it was probably Fantastic. evident to him like growing up like seeing mom and dad like jacked up and whacked out and, and then what happened yeah you know because that probably uh, I, I mean this is just an assumption and correct me if i'm wrong the way things were then probably led you towards where you eventually I mean, ended up like oh they're not paying attention i can go yeah, you know what I mean? and not only and not only like that they're not paying attention, but what I saw was that when you're not working, 
you're partying. Right. I mean, right, my right. dad partied hard and my mom partied harder. But like that's what you know. You grow up to work hard so that life is about the party. Yes, yes. You know let what me, I, mean? I work hard. I'm going to play hard. That's let me right. ask you a question uh, about that real quick. Uh, were you able to be transparent about partying right away or was there some secretness about it? <laughs> well, okay, so pretty quickly it was transparent because of my parents and they were very open. We were the house that, they, that my friends came over and drank and smoked right. weed and I would smoke with my mom. But the first time my mom found like a roach and like a beer in my closet, she was so furious. I was 16. She chucked it at my head. <laughs> you know <laughs> and, what I mean? And like oh. I've, I've met your mom and I just like. Just don't see it. No, no. <laughs> Not now. See, you know, Not now. She's kind of an enlightened uh, person. But yeah, I mean, that was that was the life I knew. Um, you know, I was, for personally, for me, I was really insecure as a kid and I was bullied in middle school. And so when high school came, and in all seriousness, when I realized I could party, like mm. this insecure kid could let loose when he drank and smoked right. weed. Mm. I love that persona. The, that the profound personality change. That's right. You know? So you didn't make it to seventeen like your dad did. No, no a little. Actually, <laughs> I was a good kid. Sixteen. Sixteen you know? is not too bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, thirteen it is, it is usually the year. The most popular year is thirteen. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's terrible. But you know, when the kids got older uh, in college, um, you know, we we promoted and actively supported the drinking in the house with the whole. With right. the whole crew, the you know, uh, if, you, if you're gonna drink, you're gonna do it here. That's common. Yeah, it's it is common. And drink and with it with them. I could, there yeah. were some. I remember one thir- one Thanksgiving in particular. Uh, the remnants the next day were almost astounding. How much liquor we went through, the four of us. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It, oh, 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 I was surprised. We had a, we had a house like that when I was a kid, and it was so uh, magical at first because we were thirteen and fourteen. When we were going over there, we we found we had a band, and we went and friends of the band parents were hippies and we went over there and they they let us practice in their basement and we had people over all the time and then as soon as the drugs and alcohol came in totally changed it you know what i mean oh yeah everything yeah. you know became yeah. different and it just uh it went away pretty quickly after that so like just real quickly like growing up in this household what really happened though was that by the time i went away to college my family was completely broken i mean it yeah. was just it was destroyed and it was palpable you know mm. my mom was a mess my dad was a mess my sister was away and and so i'm 18 and i'm a freshman and i basically i can't deal with what had become to my my life and my family and i start suffering massive anxiety like debilitating yeah, anxiety yeah. attacks so you can't go outside you can't talk to your friends you can't do this uh, no, um, i've heard i've heard of that and i've heard about those and i've heard that it's it's a uh, something that you wouldn't you went wouldn't imagine coming over you and you can't stop it from happening and you know yeah it's just like well why don't you just breathe deeply or you know but I yeah just, i can't imagine it and it, it's tough like to to not know what anxiety feels like and and try and tell someone right. oh, it'll go away you'll be okay yeah no that's what the and, thing and, is i can't, I can't and see i've it. i've can't had it like recently over like the past couple of years and it's like wow that's what this is that's what this and you feels don't, like you don't see it coming right i right. mean there's certain things that life preps you for not even preps like you know your grandparents are going to die and this is going to happen and this 
But when you get whacked with severe anxiety, you did you don't see that coming. Right. And it's like a whack over the side of your head and it really um rattles you and it takes you off of your center. Uh and like for me it primed me to become the the drug addict I was gonna become later on because okay. like because of that and, and I like to, to share this in case anyone else has ever gone through it. When you go through a period of time where you have such terrible anxiety, you have now uh, you now have a phobia of that coming back, like for the oh, rest yeah. of your life, and so it makes yeah, it that yeah. you can't handle negative emotions because in anything negative, whether it's kind of depression or kind of anxiety, these alarm bells start going off. And what you're going to do Uh-oh. if you're an addict, you're going to pop that pill, you're going to sniff that hair. You know what I mean? Uh, you're going to. Oh, it's coming! I got to get ahead of it. Exactly. Oh, hey, word. Exactly. That sounds yeah. awful. And, and and it may not happen, but. Like you have these triggers or the, you know what That's I mean? That's right, and, and, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and all that happened from just the home life. Just just the home life. Yeah, that pe- was the people setup. Are, people are so cold. Some people are so, a lot of people are so cold uh, and not able to step into somebody else's shoes over anything that has to do with mental health at all. You know what I mean? If somebody's like going through anxiety or going through uh, a lot of different things, depression. Right. Um you know they're weirdos, or they, they what you know they have a problem, or you know, it's uh there's there's just we need more empathy. I feel, you know what I mean. A hundred percent and awareness. Awareness. I mean, part of it is, sure. uh, you know, you were very closed about it, so we we were not really aware of it. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm not sure what we could have done because we didn't have much in the way of understanding or education on how to deal with it. But I, I'm fortunate yeah. that things are changing. I think people are becoming more aware. Of, of these issues and how, how to deal with them. And, but, so, yeah. and I'm sure that if you knew that, you would have tried to get him help that, that he needed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Uh, it's it's the, soci- the social, though. At that age, at the age of high school or, or middle school, the um, social is your world. You know what I mean? Your friends and the, what people think yeah. of you. And it's, it's so hard to, to get around that. It's all about what people think of you yeah and and my anxiety was so heightened in terms of like do they notice me do they notice i'm freaking out did i just laugh weird and this is on anyway so this is on a daily basis and and everything's a mess and i kind of want to jump forward to to you getting sober um so my life after that a couple things happened i become a drug addict i can get into that later it becomes vicious i'm just i can't stop doing pills and, and 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 so much every day and then my parents get sober, and my dad Son of a. leads the charge. <laughs> and the thing is, here's the deal. Here's the funny thing about this. Before you tell your story getting sober, we know if we've gotten sober, we know what the miracle is for us, and that's great. But if you've been lucky enough to have someone close to you get sober, it, it heals you. I mean, it's fucking sorry. It's, no, it's you, fucking it, amazing to see my mom, my dad. Like, you get so used to seeing this, just this burnt down fucking house, right? Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, you get older, and there's a, a there's a beautiful, pristine house there, and you're like, well, it's not going to stay, and it stays, and it stays, and it's just like something comes back. I guess that went away. I can't yeah, explain right, it. You right. know? Wow. To say that uh, sobriety was a surprise is an understatement. Uh, again, what what happens when you're when 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 you're out there for so long? Your life, 
becomes completely ingrained in a certain mindset, you know, and that right. revolved around drinking and a pattern of life that that was not healthy. And I, I, I believe that I, one of the things that brought brought me the, 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 to the point of, of getting better was how bad life had gotten. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful that, it, you know, I was at that point where a friend of mine in the program refers to Dante's Inferno where he says, you know, I was alive but nothing of life remained. And that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I remember Josh remembers this. I was sitting at my desk and I said, you know, I don't want to be anywhere. I don't want to be where I am. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to be anywhere. I don't want to be. I didn't right. want, wasn't suicidal, but I, I, I ceased to have an interest point. in anything. Yeah. And, you know, that's a pretty dark bottom. And, um, mm. you know, things, things progressed to the point where, where, fortunately, I said, this has got to change. And I, I, I approached my wife about, um, you know, getting help for both of us. And, you know, that was, that was about a two- or three-month battle. Um, oh, to, for, to bring her around. To bring her around, exactly. And, and I think what, what's most amazing, what maybe what Josh saw, was that you, know, you, can, you, can, you can have a partner in life, but that's so dysfunctional that there's, there's very little uh, uh, of a relationship that, that, that's, that's helpful or, or, or valuable. Mm. Once we got sober together, we, we, we were like we found each other again. And, you know, now, and, and had... Did, did you guys always have that, or did the relationship that that that, that start had gotten like that. worn away yeah. uh, over time and over abuse? You know that and whole it became like most people like running partners, partner right, in crime, right? Exactly, you partner know? in crime, but yeah. but you know a lot of anger, a lot of um, Resentment. disappointment, resentments, all of those. Oh things. yeah, and Lots. then and then we get sober, and uh, my wife took a slightly different path. She's very active in AA, but her primary sort of uh, uh, process in recovery is meditation. Mm-hmm. She belongs uh, to an organization uh, that's worldwide, and she, she really has committed herself. And, you know, she meditates a minimum of two, most of the times, three times a day for well over wow. an hour at a time, as well wow. as <laughs> practices, uh, you know, an educational side to this. Uh, engages in all in all aspects of it, and that has really been her lifeline. And can I just quickly say, like the coolest thing? Like, first of all, you do not want my mom's fury growing up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was something. It was something fierce. It was vicious. You know, she's yeah, a yeah. a gritty girl from Weymouth, man. She will cut you with her words. So, with that said, though, is that there's nothing better than my mom coming out to yell at my my, my dad and I in the kitchen because we're being too loud because she's trying to meditate. <laughs> right. now, in that right. moment, I might be a little mad, but I appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, later on. Exactly. Right. I, I like That's... the I like the kid. I'm I, I was brought up Jewish. My wife's uh, Catholic, and I used to always find it interesting that I I really related to her family extremely well because mm. I found that the you know the Irish Catholics really know how to celebrate a birthday <laughs> or a holiday or a Tuesday night or Thursday it night. Didn't it didn't matter. matter. They woke yeah. up. So That's I it. really yeah. I became yeah. so I I like to refer to myself as a a nice, a nice Jewish boy with an Irish Catholic drinking problem. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But what happened, too, was um, the spiritual side of, of this program. I mean, I was an agnostic. Uh, my wife, I think, had a much stronger spiritual connection early on than I did. Mm. Uh, and I don't want to get into it, but there was an event uh, during her uh, stay at a, a rehab and, and rehabilitation that was uh, 
remarkable to say the least. And at the time, I didn't identify with it as much as I do now as a spiritual and truly remarkable experience. But as wow. I came into the program and, and had the willingness and the surrender and the desire to be honest with not just another person, but with myself. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. That, is, that was huge, that, that I then began to open myself up to the possibilities of, of, of a spiritual relationship and a, you know, and a God as I understand him, hmm. which has changed everything for me. I mean, um, awesome. it's the foundation of, of, of a daily life. Uh, of, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. It's not the thing that I think I certainly accept the fact that it's my responsibility to work that process, and I don't sit back and expect God to just come and do it for me. Right. You have, uh, you have, to, you have to participate have to in that, it. or and it's, it's, it's like, you, like your wife's meditation. It's a practice. Exactly. You have and, to work at yeah. it continually, continually. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing mm. on the spiritual side was that, for me, you know, I've always said before there was no real evidence that a God existed. And when I started to really think about it, there's just as much evidence that God does exist. So it's a matter of both being equal, evidence-wise, exist or doesn't exist, and that's where faith comes in. Where if you choose to believe, then that's where faith will, will, will take you to the next step. And yes. once you have that faith, I found that there is, in fact, a very tangible result of bringing God into your life, and that's how it makes you feel. And that feeling mm. is tangible to me. It's not just some ethereal, you know, concept that I have. I feel it in my body. I feel the 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 the, the, the actual physical I- impact of doing that. So, yes, that yes, that, that I, I think so. When you combine, can relate. So, to sort of bring Josh into the program, <laughs> into what was going on, it was uh, you know we had gotten sober. We had several years of of sobriety and. Josh, Josh's story was repeating itself, and uh, I think it, there was there was one point where my wife turned to me and says, "Thank God we're sober," because it gave us the ability to 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 manage and walk through, and and be there for Josh and to have enough insight into right. the fact there was a solution, as they say, right, and, yeah. and to and to and to and to provide that information in a way that wasn't being forced on him. Because as much as I wanted to get him sober, I could never get him sober, and that, that right. took a while to, to realize. And so you can't send yeah, you're uh, grounded until you're sober. You so we were trying to show him by way of example <laughs> yeah. what sobriety yes. looked like, and you know, at the point where there were critical times, I would kind of reiterate the willingness, the surrender, and the personal honesty as keys to opening the door. And I think it fortunately uh, that happened. Came one. I'll never forget the phone call. I got a phone call, and Josh said, I've, I'm, I, I'm, "I cannot live like this anymore. I'm going to do what mm. I need to do." And that was the beginning for him. Well, I think I think that uh, when you have someone who's that close to you as a power of example, it it uh, becomes an option, right? Right. It becomes something solid, something real. It kind of reminds me, and this might be totally off base, but it reminds me of like um, when I said I was I was gonna I was gonna go to college and be a and be a um, continual student for the rest of my life that was my goal that was my plan of course <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know very many people who were going to college and i definitely didn't know anybody who was paying it for them by themselves for themselves and i had no idea and uh it's like a pipe dream you know what i mean right however if somebody was there doing it with me i probably would have been able to do it you know what i mean or had a better chance yeah had a you better know, chance it's um same type of thing yeah, yeah so now now 
Josh sees how his parents were, the lifestyle they lived. They do this thing, you know, find recovery or sobriety, and, like, you're witness. You're like, okay, like, I know how they were. Yeah. I, uh, like, and, and, and you see the change, you know? And so the change, okay, so that's, the change was unbelievable. I mean, specifically even my mother, I, you could say I might be the biggest miracle, but she was. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind. But that's that's the thing, though. Even that, my parents being in the program, that connected in only really once I was ready to get sober. It didn't get me ready. It might have subconsciously. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is it's the thing. Is I, so I, I, I work at a sober house and I see these guys and they come in and they and they relapse. And you're like, you're looking at it from an objective view. And it's like, what's going on? Why did, why did I, 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 I relapsed 20, 30 times. And, 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 and 10 of those were massive, devastating relapses where everyone finds out, right? Mm. I was a constant chronic relapser. And the only thing that got me to that point where I called my dad was pain. Yeah. You know, and the question is, can you right. reach somebody before they reach their pain threshold? And I hope we can somehow, but the only thing like my parents getting sober didn't get me sober. My pain got me sober, but them being sober fast-tracked right, how right. I saw the program and what was possible and what was this, but I, that was after that point. And what happened to me is so I was relapsing and I would, I'd uh, been off opiates, you know, I was, opi- I was on opiates for like eight years, and then I was on cocaine, and I had like six months and six months and nine months, and then I'm 10 months sober again, and I buy some coke, and instead of doing like my regular line, I just do like a tester line, and I wake up in an ambulance. My girlfriend, who's a third grade oh. teacher in Norwell, had come home found me fe- uh, face down, blue in the face. I had overdosed because it was laced with fentanyl. Wow. And, oh and, 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 and so two months after that, I use again. I'm on the color system. They call my color. It was week five, and I was still using, I, meaning I, was, I couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, and I, and I, they hadn't and, called him in five weeks, so we knew it was coming. Yeah, and mm. so I, I fail, and my PO goes, I'm sectioning you. I'm sending you away. And I call Becky, and it's like five times, and she's she finally picks up the phone because she's in the middle of class, and she goes, Josh, what's going on? And I go, Beck, I, I failed. They're sending me away. And she goes, well, you can pack your fucking bags when you get back. Mm. You know, I'm done. And it was when I finally mm. went away in rehab, and I'm like sitting there at four in the morning waiting for the guy who comes in early to make the coffee because I can't sleep, and I'm looking at my life, and it's like this moment where it's like, for the past 10 years, my whole life was just like, oh, this sucks and this is terrible, but one day and tomorrow and one day and oh, this sucks and oh, I did it again. It never clicked on me that like I wasn't living, like I wasn't living my life and it just feeling came over me like I'm not living my life. I want to live my life. Mm. And so I call my dad later that day with that realization, but the truth is that realization opened up a whole can of worms of like honesty about myself and that set me off on my sobriety but it was dark for five or six months my first five or six months of sobriety was yes. really 
tough. I barely, I, the, I barely had enough energy to get out of bed, let, a go, let alone go to a meeting, but I made sure I went to a meeting and I called my sponsor. Every day was the first time I had a sponsor that, that made me do that and I called him every day. And what happened to kind of fast track it is that about five or six months into my, my sobriety, this pain, like what happens is you wear your life, you wear your fucking terrible life on your shoulders every second of the day and it just brings you down. And five or six months in, it started to dissipate. Yeah. Like it yeah. just, st- mm. I started to feel better. And the, basically the pain was, was going away. And the truth is I would have taken that just take the pain away that I'll take that for the rest right, of my life. Right. And that, that was it, enough. That was enough. But like a couple months more, and this is when I start working the steps and doing mm-hmm. this and a couple months more, I woke up inside and I wanted to get up at six. I wanted to make my breakfast, read my book, make sure I meditate, say hi to Becky, do this, do that. I wanted to do stuff. And that is what I didn't see coming. Right. And you, that's right. when you noticed something different in me, oh, just absolutely. like this light was on. Right. Exactly. The light comes back on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing, like, you know, some people, like, they'll be around here for a little while, and they'll still have that feeling. Like, you know, uh, uh, someone commented earlier, uh, this guy Mike that we had on, Mike DeAndre, and uh, he was talking about the anxiety when he first got sober. And, you know, you're you're talking about anxiety while you were using. Yeah. Like, I can imagine how it, it felt. It was it was brutal. When, when you had nothing, no, no, your solution was now gone. And that's why, like, that's what the thing is, like, here's the deal, like, unless you have people forcing you to do this, if I had no one around me making me do something, I would have laid in bed all day, and kind of rightfully so. You are in serious pain. Mm -hmm. It is, like... Emotional pain? Emotional pain. It's the anxiety. It's just, like, your, your whole body is wired, and your brain is wired, and you're uncomfortable... But it's when it's it's actually getting out of bed and doing something, going mm-hmm. to a meeting through that is right. when you get better. And it's hard to force yourself. That's why the fellowship yes. and a sponsor yes. and people who hold you accountable get you healthy. Because by yourself, it's almost impossible. Maybe right. maybe one out of 100 can do it. Yeah. I can't. We can. Yes, exactly. exactly. So, so you stayed home that five months you weren't in a program you were at home yeah i mean i was going to aa meetings and i was heavily involved that way but i wasn't well i was in rehab for 28 days then a halfway house for 30 so my first two months i was away so that's yeah and then i went home i wasn't with becky i was kicked out of my house so i was living with my parents right yeah but Mm. you were but you went to you went to further treatment you didn't just go to detox and then and then go home and go to aa i couldn't have done just detox. Yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot I, of people. I think a lot of people are like that. I think the the rare exception is the person who who can. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, and I think that's great. It is but great. Also, Jeez. I think further treatment is even more great. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know what the statistics would be, but I mean, if I had to guess, it would be like maybe you know. One out of 25 people might be able to go home and just go to meetings after a week of uh, getting the physical stuff out of taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest, though. Like, the reason that it doesn't work for most is you're, you're talking about the obsession. Yes. That yeah, bastard exactly. is so intense and so strong that six days, four days, seven days, you're still in it. You can't. Exactly. You know, the, yeah. The, the respect, yeah. the, the knowledge of the strength of that obsession 
is is a, something that I point to that says that tells me every day, you know, or not every day, but I mean, whenever I would would think of like, how is it so easy to stay sober now? Because I know how hard it is to get sober. That's right. Do you know what a par- <laughs> do you know what a paradigm is? I do. Okay, so I refer to to, to addiction and uh, alcoholism as a paradigm, a way of life, where right. where over a period a of time. Of your 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 your, bro- your brain, you know, establishes pathways about how it sees any and all situations, mm-hmm. and if part of if every pathway gets you to a drink or a drug, breaking that paradigm is one of the most difficult things the brain needs to learn how to do. Mm. So there's a period of time where you're reprogramming the way you're processing the world around you, every aspect of it, and uh, you know that is a difficult thing, uh, but it's doable. But it does take a, a committed, you know, commitment to continue to do all those little pieces mm-hmm. that you need to yeah. do. Going to meetings is the beginning. Yeah, it, and, and right. people like I've met I've met certain people that um, like will knock like the old timers, you know, like ninety and ninety. Well, there's a reason for ninety and ninety. That's like, right. It oh, yeah. takes the brain ninety days to form something habitual. Yeah. Right? So like it's it's not just like ah oh, do ninety and ninety and you'll be okay. No, keep doing it because then then you'll want to do it. Yes. Like you, you you have we have to be we have to change our thinking. Mm-hmm. You know and, and like all those little slogans they they all have like <laughs> everyone they, they crazy, have right? so much importance. Yeah, if if someone could like break it down and and, and you know write it in a book it would be. Amazing. I don't know what just happened, but we lost our feed. So we will keep going on here, and I will do this all again. Um, yeah, so it's like a roadmap. Yeah, that's a paradigm is a roadmap. Right, and, it, and I know for, for us, you know, the, my life had had 45 years of building that paradigm. And, right. you know, to, 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 to look at a situation, I'm going to take an easy one, going on vacation. Uh, you know, there was just the immediate process was the was the drinking that was involved at the very beginning, early in the morning, getting on the plane, oh, having yeah. nips, getting to the airport, getting getting there, going to a liquor store first to have the layover. The I can have I can get Whatever four or five took, drinks all, on the layover. It was always intergrained with, with involved, in, in, interwoven with with drinking. And, um, you know, that's, it's hard to, to sort of fight that. It does happen. You, you reprogram your mind. And uh, over time. Over time. Over time and effort, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and help. And help. Yeah. Help. I, you know, it's, it's like that's such a good example, too, you know. Um, it's like if you were – and I've heard talk of paradigms before, but, like, if you were trying to um, get to an address in Boston – but you had a map of Chicago, <laughs> it would be difficult, and you could try all the positive thinking in the world. Uh, you need a different way of thinking. Right. I remember Josh would ask me um, in the in the years before you found sobriety, what what it, what it, what it, what is sobriety? What does it look like? You know, and the fact is, is there's a line in one of the stories in the big book that says, you know, I didn't know what sobriety looked like. And I think that really describes it. It's hard to set a goal for something you don't know what it looks like. Mm, and right. that you don't really have that 
appreciation or understanding of sobriety until you get it. So it's sort of like a, uh, you know, it's a contradiction, if you will, to set yourself a goal towards something that you don't know what how that what that goal really is. No, and it's um, it's such a great point. Like what sobriety looks like, you know, for me, it's. Um, and I, I'm not trying to sound like too corny, but like the ability to be a man I want to be. So now I can I can tell you that I'm an honest man. I have dignity. Self-respect. Self-respect. That's exactly right. And the ability to feel that way about you. Like that's to right. feel that way about you is unbelievable. I talk right. about this all the time. It's a, it's identity, your self-identity. Yes. How you identify yourself. If you are someone who identifies as someone who drinks all the time or uses drugs all the time, I am someone who, who that's what I do. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. Whatever you self-identify is is where you're going to follow because it's, it's very hard to live life against your own self-identity uh, or, or, yeah. or self-values. Yeah. You know, if I'm the type of person, and I don't ever steal. I never never would steal anything. All right. Well, you're not going to steal then. But if you know that you're the type of person, when you were a kid, somebody said, oh, you're a little thief, aren't you? And then all of a sudden, this is how you think of yourself. And then that's a path that you could potentially yeah, that's, follow. That's right. That's, and what, so, that's what you end up being. And mm. so I just want to quickly get back to, like, my, my story. So about five, six months um, into my sobriety, my dad, who was a, 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 an active participant at the South Shore Peer Recovery Center, the SSPR in Situate Harbor, mm. decided he wanted to create a sober softball league. Mm. And the thing about this is that this ended up seriously changing my life or impacting my life because what happened is I was going to meetings, I was working with a sponsor, I was going to meetings, I was working with a sponsor, but I didn't have the courage to stay after and talk and meet people and, yeah, and, yeah. and make friends and stuff yeah. like that. So my dad starts this softball league and you know, six weeks into the softball league, I'm making friends, I'm, I'm bowling with them later. Right, the, right. See, it's hard to say whether the higher power is the biggest of all of that, but if you take that away for a second, the number one thing that got me sober were my friendships. I had, it changed my life to just have friends, to call if I'm not doing well, to go have fun, to, to talk at a meeting, it gave me a reason to go to a meeting. It was, it was amazing. It was because of my sober dad starting a sober softball league. Well, that, that, that really did start when you were just uh, coming out of Gosnell and, and the Miller House. Um, you know, I, I, this again is where I had some perspective in sobriety was that I understood that fellowship and relationships were yes. as important as anything you can have in this program. That's and the super. That's a, that's the attraction, right. not promotion part. Right. And I'd hear about these guys, and they say, "Oh, when I got sober, I hung around with four or five guys, and we did this, right. and we did that." And right. I was trying to find that for you, actually. When mm. I, you know, I sort of had my my connections, and you know, it occurred <clears> to me this would be an excellent opportunity, and uh, it's been very, it's been a wonderful thing, not just for for. Uh, for us and for you, uh, but but for everybody that, so that many enjoys people. it, I mean, it's it's a wonderful fellowship experience, and really emphasize the fellowship side and the fun yes. side, and, and try to keep it in perspective. Yeah, and and Josh, you're talking, you know, remove the the higher power piece from it, but it it's never been removed never, because because yeah. your higher powers going to work through Tom. It's going to work through that's your right. dad. That's you know what point. I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to sit down and that's right, that's sit right. next to you and say, hey, Josh, what's up? You know what I mean? <laughs> he works through I'm, people. I'm busy, guy. And, and he, he puts puts people in our lives. Yeah. And, and, and like, 
our path is already there. I agree. You know, like we may not like where we end up or how we get there or or I don't even question it no more. It's like, you know, yeah. I get those times all the time when I'm look up like, I know that was you on that <laughs> one, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, I try and plan things. I, I got a friend, a friend that he texts me every morning, um, Mike Cavallo. And I was in, he was in detox um, a few years ago. And, and like he was a, a music promoter and had a lot to do with rap and stuff like that. And I was up there sharing. And I said, listen, every time I run the show, it gets canceled. And he was like, Bang. like that rang with it because he had done that. And he had like yes. screwed up shows and shit got canceled. You know what I mean? If I try and, <coughs> and, and, and make things happen, they never, ever work out. When I remove myself from the situation, but I'm ready to take action and do work if it's necessary. Yeah. And know what's so crazy about it that? It works out so much better. It feels so good and easy to just like let go and, 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 and ride yeah. with it, right? And yet all of a sudden, if you're not paying attention, your hands start clenching again. You don't, against your own will. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. That's why it's like, it's like you said earlier, it has to, this is a daily, daily practice the classic line is you can't get clean on yesterday's shower and it's so true it is i was in um seven years ago is when i went to my first rehab and it was heavy aa heavy aa it was really good and i had a spiritual experience there like an actual one where it just this feeling came over me and it was real man yeah it was real and because it was so real i was good and i go home and i do nothing and i relapsed in two months and and that's the thing Hmm. you will I've learned being around here that we will have many spiritual experiences. Mm. They, that it, it talks about it in, in some of the literature. That feeling will fade. That this is why we need to stay involved and continue to have those spiritual experiences. And, and you know, uh, I've, I've gone to a meeting and, you know, while I was there, I could have been like, oh, what the fuck? what the hell is this one talking about? Oh, my God. Like, uh. And then, you know, years later, it's like something happens in my life and, and I can recall that moment clear as day. Crazy. That's what that person was talking about that night. Yeah. Connected That's the it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. My mom, who is an incredibly enlightened spiritual woman, talks about this. She goes, even the, 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 the most uh, well-known gurus ever go through droughts they don't stop practicing but they'll go through droughts and the droughts is just another lesson learned you know what i mean it's like it's so if i go through it and the most enlightened person goes through it that's part of life it's not like a oh no because in the beginning it was like what's wrong yeah i don't feel this anymore why 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 is this happening to me no what am i to learn from this that's right it's it every everything in our life is about perspective how we're looking at it you know, we can we can look at it from this side and it looks like shit, it sucks, I hate it. But then go around the other side and it's like, wow, that actually isn't really even that bad. I you think know? there's also the side that a lot of the what we learn in AA about how we, we process every moment in terms of our, our the, you know, our, our humility, for instance. They talk about that in step seven. Um, you know, it's about putting your your body in in its best possible way to to have a better connection with 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 God. Right. You know, when when you are at peace yeah, like inside, and you are doing the right thing, and you are not fighting the world, you're just existing in a in a positive way. 
um, you know, you're much more able to see and, and receive what, what God has to give. You're more attuned to it. Yes. It's a sense of, of an inner uh, uh, sort of tuning that is more susceptible. In, the, in step 11, I've, uh, it always says that, you know, meditation and prayer, and it's that order. And what, what I think for me is when I, when, when I have been doing meditation, it is after that meditation that I am infinitely more in a position to pray and have a relationship mm. that, is, that is meaningful because I've set my body and my mind in a place that is now more open to sort of be attuned with what God uh, and I want to have, a, a, you know, ha- have that relationship. So I, I just want to like uh, stop for one second about this conversation because – if myself three years ago was going to look in on this conversation, I would literally be I would be saying to myself, "What? What the fuck? That is so weird." The talk of prayer, like the thought, the thought that I would be on my knees praying was just so foreign. Like no fucking way. The last time I was I prayed, I was eight years old, and I wanted Lindsay Tribble to take me to the dance, or maybe ten years old. That was the last time I prayed, and that's true. So. I wonder so if she's I, listening. And so I come into this program. This is maybe where my parents being in the program and, and my atheist dad all of a sudden finding a higher power, which was amazing. But when I came in here, this kind of stuff was just fluffy and weird, and I didn't like it, and it was just odd and like no it was it was such not even a turnoff. It was just like I'm not that kind of person, and I never will be. And that closed-mindedness uh, was so hard to break. That that's the, that identity piece again. Yeah, and the only thing that got through that thick understanding of what I thought was life, was I said again, right. was pain. I was in enough pain as they, and this is a classic story where I was- To become willing. To become willing. Yeah. And so what I did forever <laughs> was I got on my knees, and I prayed every morning and every night, and I thought it was weird every time and i didn't like it every time but i still did it every time and it changed my life that's because i was willing that i i have the story that i tell all the time and it was a huge turning point for me and i had gotten tried to get sober for a little while and went to lots of programs and detoxes and blah blah blah, but there were huge pro um turning point for me was uh getting on my knees i've grown up i was always christian no problem with god i you know always believe in god and always prayed but I didn't pray on my knees. So when in the rehab, guy in the same room with me in the bunk next door to me was like, they say you're supposed to get on your knees and pray before you go to sleep. And I was like, nah, I, I pray. I, I know how to pray. I pray myself by my way. And, uh, and then I, like, as he's on his knees, I'm going to my son thinking, like, what am I doing? Am I, do I know something? Am mm-hmm. I, you know, this is... It's the lack of humility, the lack of willingness. Yeah. Some of the suggestion was made by people who have done it. And so instead of doing it, I'm thinking about it and saying that my way is better. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's that funny. was a yeah. huge turning right. point because I became willing. That's right. I remember saying to myself, maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe it. I don't know. And I, I really so... remember. <laughs> I said to that was that was a, that was the door that opened. This is maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm not quite as, you know, smart as I think I am. And so I just, poignant. Yeah, that's exactly what we and need. And to see like a man like you who was <laughs> in my life, towering, assertive, angry, and super loving, to have that like 
something come across him where like maybe there's a higher power it was amazing it had that had a massive impact on me to right. see you do it now uh i just want to get back to something really cool that we've never really talked about together but i am <coughs> crazy lucky because <laughs> so all this story and building up and getting sober now that i am sober both my parents are sober and are in the program my dad and i or my mother talk aa or recovery principles or spiritual principles all the time our discussions are nothing but about bettering ourselves and love and life and God. And that is so amazing because there are not many people in my position. Yeah. It's our I mean, life. Really. I mean, it's it's the focal point of, of, of our lives because, you know, this isn't just, you know, I'm sober uh, and, I'll, and I'll rethink this over in another 24 hours. It's a, it's a way of living. It becomes, a, you know, a way of self-assessment, self-awareness, aware, you know, the the. the re- the, the need to take your inventory on a daily basis, if not every moment, and to check yourself and to constantly be, you know, working towards something that, that you've learned, you know, you need to be. Because it's easy to, 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 to switch back to default. It happens to all of us. I mean, yeah, it is. Just, just get in, you know, drive your car somewhere. You're going to, you know. <laughs> I, think, I think that a survival mechanism uh, for most people has to be that, you know, I kind of got this figured out, this thing, life, this life thing. I got this figured out. But to stand in uh, and be okay with loving yourself, um, knowing that you don't have everything figured out, and being okay with that, and being okay with admitting that, it's that's the guy, that's the humility that we need. Yeah. And uh, you sit there and say, I still love myself, even though I don't know. And to openly admit that, it's such a powerful. Um, tool and uh, you stand there in humility and 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 be okay with yourself. It's like it's that's actually like a whole amazing topic that I'm I'm almost two years. I'll be two years in November and like uh, uh, that I'm working on with myself is that you take certain issues that you have with yourself. I wish I was better looking or like had a, a better body or this or that or I had more money or this or that and you have all these frailties about you. Mm. And the one way that you can actually do better with dealing with it, if not get rid of it, is totally accept that way and like love yourself kind of like as you are. And then all of a sudden the fears of these different parts of value go lower because you're okay being human. I'm not trying to be too deep, but it Mm. actually works. You know what I mean? It's a whole thing with acceptance it right. works in any facet of life really that's right and then <laughs> and then when you turn when you when you say i'm okay with being flawed i'm all right i'm flawed and i know i'm flawed and i'm okay with flawed and that's when you can be okay with someone else's flaws 100%. right and you right. can love them for the fact that they're human and they're flawed you know what i mean and if you're at, you know and when i'm at my when i can be spiritual and i can be like okay with life and it's usually when i'm in a really good mood or maybe it's because of i'm like that i'm in a really good mood then when somebody does something that's shitty i can say you know i can say to myself i love him for that for doing that that's that's just an example of being human and he's on a spiritual path and that's right right and it's um you know i i i was talking outside um my dad and i were talking to Kristen out there about a couple things and one of them and chris you were out there for this is that like life isn't simple 
No, it's so it's a it's actually amazing how you get older and you realize how complex you are. It's it's ridiculous. But in terms of like simplifying like the program, which is so crazy, not simplifying the program. I don't I don't want to overstate. But if I'm honest, every single time I need to be or I need to just say something, if I'm honest, and I'm always doing the next right thing, mm. those two things on a daily basis, doing the next right thing and being honest, doing the next right thing and being honest. Your life starts to cultivate like around you, and it's amazing because yeah. it almost shows that the spiritual principles are real. Right, right. You know, yeah, the, by the by living that way, that is what you attract. Yeah, I think That's, part of the know, byproduct of, of all of this change and this sort of internal dialogue in a positive way, and just working this program, is that I, I found that sobriety was pretty easy when life was going well. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's when life, <laughs> when life, which it will, turns, you know, ugly or something doesn't quite go right or things go really bad. Right. That's when the program kicks into gear. That's right. And all the things that you learn to, to to how to process the world better is when that really helps because most of us and certainly me would would, would you know that's when we're susceptible, more susceptible right. you know to finding right. an easy way out versus the more you know, sort of practiced way that AA teaches us. You're actually, right. I, I can't believe I wouldn't have mentioned this, and it's its a staple in AA, but it saved my life, and it's that exact thing. Like, when things are wrong, are you going to do what you've been taught? And the number one thing for me was picking up the telephone, and half the time it was calling you. Mm. Dad, I'm not doing well. And I had that luxury because he's in the program, but right. calling, and it's like, that's where the whole friendship comes in, but that tool of reach out if you don't feel well or you have a craving or whatever it is, actually reaching out instead of saying, I should have done that. Right. Oh, I'll reach out next time. I did that for years. <coughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll call someone. Yeah. When you actually practice that simple thing, that thousand pound phone, it will change your life, right? I mean, mm. I can't imagine I'm the only one in that no, sense. No, not at all. Yeah. It, but sure. it, can, it can be very difficult to, to, to get to that point. You know, and, you know, some unfortunately suffer the ultimate price for not being able to do that. That's right. You know, that's right. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. but if, if like, that's what we put out there, like, like, let people know, like, no, for real, like, you can talk to me. You can. Like, you can. Right. It's, it's, it's hard. So hard. It's so hard. You know, it's weird and it's hard. And, and, you know, because me, me and Tom, we went through a, a treatment center and, uh, so what what would happen would be hey how you doing right we're we're addicts we're going to lie so the first time you're going to say <laughs> that's right i'm good yeah yeah of course what's really going on right. it, we were taught mm -hmm. to ask twice yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. because right, right. the second time you you're more likely to that's a great actually, tool, actually actually say well you know yeah. I, and i think it was was it Derek today put up a thing? Fine. The word fine. Oh, right. Bingo. You fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. There you go. There you like, go. That's, yeah. that's what fine yeah. means. If you're fine you, around Derek. AA, yes. then there's a, yeah. there's a problem. Yeah. You know, right. so 
Shout out to D Quirk for on that one. Yes, I think he posted you, that up today. That's good. That's a good. That's a good practice, though. And it yeah. really isn't it. You know, you know, I don't do it enough. And you, you say how you doing? That's it's like not even. Then you, you don't even mean that question. And most people, you're not even it, listening after it comes out of your mouth. That's most right. people who ask it, ask it, don't want to hear an answer. Yes, they just want to hear fine or good or whatever. Yep. It's a, you know. And when you're not doing well is when it's the hardest to say. Right. Absolutely. Sorry. No, I was going to say one of the things about the program is is it's. The beauty of it, it's not judgmental. You come to me and tell me something. You know, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to first, my first thought is how can I help you? Mm. And mm. I think in, in a lot of ways, Huge. the relationship that Josh and I, we've always had a great relationship, but there's just nothing in the world he could say to me that I would be judgmental about. And, I, you know, and a lot of that's been, been, been taught to me in the program. So the ability to have an absolutely honest uh, a conversation, no matter what it might be about, I'm here to, to, to because I've been trained to, to, you know, that's how I've learned how to deal with people. Nobody, I don't judge anybody in AA. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. Do you remember what you told me? This is a true story. I'm, I, he wants me to go to meetings, and this is, this is a long time ago, five, six years ago. And he goes, Josh, in AA, there is no judgment. That's on the ride over. Yeah. That's how he wanted me. If there was one way he wanted me to see AA for the mm. first time is no judgment. And that's what I needed to hear. Right. That and Planet Fitness. <laughs> and, and like it's 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 real easy to see because like when someone's sharing something that's like really fucked up and people are laughing you know yeah. a, a, an outsider they're like why why are they laughing at that that's right you yeah. know it's like yeah. oh i'm laughing because i know exactly how he feels yeah. exactly that's yeah. the yeah. point that's like, the point we've all been there and that's yeah. that is the secret sauce that we have all been Wherever mm. that person, or been. we can steer you in the direction of right. someone that has been, right. you know, because yes. right. we've we, been in the general. Right. If we right. if we weren't in the at the address, <laughs> we were in the neighborhood. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so but anyway, so yeah, what are we looking at? Yeah, we're, yeah, do, we're doing good. We had definitely had technical difficulties. Yeah, the second one there was no sound, so now we're on third. A third oh video. really? Yeah. Oh, son of yeah. a gun! So we What's still got people commenting. Yes. Shout out to you, people. Yeah, Thank we still got people much. joining. You're the so best. So we appreciate it. Um, you know, do we have like a minute left? No, no, no. Sure, yeah, go got, ahead. Yes. I would like you to tell the story of what happened to mom in detox. Okay. This, this is blow you away. You might have heard it before, but it's this is a, this is you know if I hadn't experienced it, I, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, and and this was before I came into the program, so I hadn't. Really, identify. I made an allusion to it earlier that we had a very strong spiritual experience. So the sequence of events was was this: it was right after Easter, in 2013, and um, took Jeannie, uh, my wife, down to a rehab in Florida, and she checked her in on a Tuesday morning. Uh, I flew back Tuesday night, and uh, I get a call on Thursday night, a couple days later, that my mother was ill, and I should try to get down to dc as fast as i could so i flew down friday morning and i got to uh, my mom's apartment and, and my sister was just getting there as well and we were 15 minutes too late so we weren't a, weren't able to my mom passed mm. away 15 minutes now oh. little little background to the story my mom uh, uh was a wonderful woman but but she had some serious demons in her life and towards the end of her life uh those demons came out and she um did not necessarily um, uh, treat my daughter real well who lived in the D.C. area uh, and she still does down in that area there where I grew up. And so there was a little friction in the family be because of that. So 
you know, we, 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 we'd make a decision that since Jeannie had just gone into rehab, we weren't going to tell her that my mom had passed because she was pretty close to my mom. And um, so we have the funeral. We get back. And then within three or four days, we're back in D.C. at a trade show because we were trying to put together a business. Uh, and this was ma- and then this was Marathon Monday, the bombing of mm. Marathon Monday. So sort of certain time we hear about the bombing and then 15 minutes later i get a call from the rehab that genie's detox had taken a turn for the worse and that they needed to take her to the hospital because she was having some issues and so i i should get down there so wow. now my mom's been dead for about 10 days and she doesn't know about it and i get down to the hospital and genie is um um sort of having you know uh, sort of conscious issues uh hallucinating was that horribly. yeah well she was uh, i don't want to get too much into the details but she wasn't well uh and she sort of comes around when she sees me it's the first thing she looks for you right in the eye and she says is your mother dead and i was i was wow. like i was like what she said yeah your mother died and she came to me and she was begging to be forgiven for the way she was treating our daughter and wow. this this was this was chills went up and down my spine because mm. there's absolutely no way that she would have any knowledge of this. We don't have family down there. It's not like somebody could have right. told her. They don't have a phone, and so that was that was just a hard thing to sort of accept. And I said to her, "No, my mother's still alive," because I wouldn't acknowledge it. It was oh. too too weird. So yeah. things wow. actually, unfortunately. So you, so- <laughs> so you were basically I don't know if you've ever seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> so you were John Travolta at the point when when the dude comes out of the bathroom and blasts bullets all right. over the place. I was, I was <laughs> so you were John Travolta, not Samuel L. Jackson. Like yeah. this, no, this is a miracle. You just witnessed a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I am not gonna let you blow this off. <laughs> so uh unfortunately my wife had to stay in the hospital for about a week. <clears throat> And then wow. uh, Josh came down to to be support, and when we finally got her back to the rehab, uh, she was back back there, and she comes back out, kind of again in and out of awareness to some extent. She says, "How far <clears throat> is it from your mother's front door to the grave?" You were there when she said that. I was that. there, <laughs> and it's funny. I've in only in movies do you actually ever see someone speechless, like you know, <laughs> right. for the first time in my life, my dad was like, "Ah." Uh. <laughs> So, again, I said, what are you talking about? She said, look, she said, I know your mother's dead. She came, she talked to me. I just saw the hearse driving a long distance, and that's what happened. My mother passed away in D.C., and the funeral was in Norfolk, Virginia, and there was a two-hour sort of procession down wow. there to get to Norfolk. Wow. So it wasn't until three months later that I finally admitted that my mom had passed away, <laughs> and that was the day that, that Jeannie came back from rehab. And she yeah. says, I know. <laughs> You're not telling me something I don't know. Amazing. And it, that's, when we, that, that's when we got into AA, and it was really powerful for me to have that, to rethink my, my, my thinking about uh, uh, God and 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 all of that i just That's i just said maybe i really don't know such a blessing what i think i know yeah. let me tell you cuz that's that's you know if if you think if you listen to the materialists who think that you know all there is is this consciousness is caused by the brain we're all all you have is this uh what's solid and and, and this reality and then you hear a story like this a first hand account right it's it's preposterous it is. It really is. To, to think that we only have think that this this is yeah. all there is. Yeah. This is uh, 
this is and you listen to uh, accounts of, of near-death experiences mm-hmm. of people who die and come back and they said it was so much more real than what this is now mm. where i was when i was dead and uh you know it, it's uh that's such an incredible yeah. powerful story i, I also amazing. think that, that my wife is she may be predestined to have a a, a much better ability to have connection, you know, a spiritual connection. Uh, certainly her practice, you know, and, you know, her state of mind and, and her contact with God is infinitely stronger than mine is. I would only hope that one day I can yeah, get that and, strong. And, and, and that, but that's the thing. Like, and I, we, know, we all can have that capability. Yes. It, it's, it, it's, it takes it's like you were saying, tuning it. Like, vibration. Like, we, we there's, there's things that you can do to... Like to 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 to, to open yourself, that up, yeah. And like, know? my mom is seventy years old. Like, this is the coolest part. She's seventy years old, and I always say she's like the youngest person in the family. But the truth is, for a kid who's thirty four, gonna have a family soon and do all that kind of stuff, to realize that when I'm seventy, I can be like that. Mm. Well, shit. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's Sign get older. Up. Let's do this. <laughs> right, right. Pretty cool. Yeah. Removes the fear yeah. in the whole situation. That's I told right, my, that's right. my wife turned 70 this summer, and I said, I said, you know, the reality is that, you know, 60 may be the new 40, but yeah. 70 still 70. So, <laughs> <laughs> so hey, yeah, hey. we're going to. We're going to talk to mom and see if maybe we can get yeah, her get, on yeah. our own. She's very shy. She's yeah. What wish. a fantastic oh, we'll story see. to end with. We'll that's, see. That's, yes. That was great. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So, um, yeah, so sorry are. for all the difficulties we had tonight. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't know everybody. what happened. Like, nothing came unplugged. The internet just went down. Yeah. Um, so, thank you, Josh, Ron. It was, it was great having you on. Thanks, and, Chris. Yeah. Appreciate it. You know, Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. The, the audio podcast, will. there'll be no problems with that. There'll be no issues. Yep. Um, so please like, subscribe, share, lolterms.com. Um, Thanks, everybody. Yeah. So this, this one will be out next week probably. Yes. So <laughs> all right. Keep tuning in. Thank you. Peace. Thank you.